Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. start in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of God. Thanks, David. David has an amazing reading voice. Doesn't he? Yeah, they're very impressed, David. And if you guys um, are getting the, uh, the podcast, so there's a podcast on iTunes podcast. So if you just put our name and search in iTunes, you can find it. Or if you look on SoundCloud, you can find our podcast. And there's this really good, is it a bumper or a buffer? Bumper. It's a bumper, okay? So there's an intro and an outro that is his magnificent voice. So you'll have to check that out, if nothing else, just to hear him. Um, so yeah, here we are in uh, John 3.16 through uh, 21. And, oh, the answer to the question is Brazil. Did anyone get that right? Mike, where? Who got it right? Mike Klein got it right. Where is he? Where is Mike Klein? I don't even see him. Oh, he's counting. He's counting money. Okay. Well, he can hear your claps, I'm sure. So um, here we are in John 3. And I wanted to remind you guys, too, that this week... Uh, Wednesday is Veterans Day, and we just want to say to any of you who have served our country in that way that we really, really appreciate it. Um, in John 15, it says, Jesus says, Greater love has no, no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so for those of you who have put yourself in harm's way for our country, have served in that way, with physical harm, emotional, psychological harm, um, we massively appreciate you. And what you've done, yeah, let's clap for them. And, um, and what you've done is really a reflection of Jesus, you know, Jesus laid down his life for us. He, he protected us from the greatest harm, and you're reflecting his love in doing that. So we really, really appreciate you so much. Um, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we just uh, come before you as people that are excited to hear from you. We are excited to hear from your word. We're excited to, to see what you're going to say. We're excited to see what your spirit's going to do in us in response to what you say. And so we pray, Lord, that as you've been so faithful to come, that you would come this morning, feed your children, enliven those who don't yet know you, give them spiritual taste buds for you, help them to, to crave you, help us all to crave you, Lord. We, we, we dull, we get dry, we get weak in our faith, Lord, and we just pray that you would stir us up. And I want to thank you too, Lord, for those that you have called to, to serve our country and to protect us. Um, We pray that you would put a special hand of blessing on them. We pray, Lord, that as a nation, we'd do a better job of taking care of them. Lord, their their physical, their emotional costs that they've paid on the the battlefront. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless them and that you would um, draw them more and more to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in uh, in John 3.16. Really simple message. It's a message about God's love. 
Um, we're going to look a little bit at 17 through 21, but we're mainly going to be right there at John 3, 16 and kind of drawing in some stuff. It's a simple message. It's about what love is, what God's love is. And I think once we look at what God's love is like, we'll start to reflect on how we use that word. I mean, there's a lot of words that we overuse, right? We overuse the word awesome. I do. Um, these are awesome taquitos. It's probably not what the word was meant for, but that's what I do. And I've run out of words. You know, amazing. We've overused amazing. Uh, love is something that we don't use correctly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a far different thing to say, you know, Jesus loves you or you love your spouse and to say, I love this hamburger, something you're going to consume. You don't really love it. You're consuming it. It's a different deal. And so as we see God's love here, we're going to see that God's love is so different. It's going to make us, I think, assess what our love's like. And I think it's going to help us to love more like God loves. Um, we're going to see this morning three things about God's love. We're going to see that God's love is global that God's love is gracious, and that God's love is giving. So global, gracious, and giving. Firstly, God's love is global. Look at John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. He loves the world. He has a global love. His love isn't just for one country or one people group or one race, right? He has a global love. And I think in context, you know, who's he talking to? You guys remember from last week? He's talking to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. And this would have been a challenge for Nicodemus. I mean, he would have thought of his nation, his race being loved by God, and all other nations were kind of their enemies, and that God was going to someday judge and rescue his people and just judge the nations. And, um, and there was plenty of things in the Old Testament that Nicodemus could have seen that would say otherwise, but that's what they focused on. And, and I think we can relate to that, guys. I think we can relate to the idea that somehow... God likes our nation more than other nations, right? We tend to think that he's kind of more behind us than other countries. Um, we tend to think of us, uh, ourselves, as being morally or spiritually superior to the rest of the world, which um, there's evidence to the contrary. Um, but um, he, he would have thought this way. He would have thought that God was uh, more on his side. And that's because, you know, human love tends to be that way. It tends to be selective, right? We're very selective. We love people who love us. We love people who act like us, that look like us, that, that do things like us. But God's love's different. It's global. It's for the nations. Um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, you guys probably all know, but it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. We're called to take part in God's global love. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always. Um, if we think about how we are doing in taking God's global love out into the world, um, I'll just tell you the statistics. Um, there are over 67 unreached people groups still. So in this, nation, in this world, right, that has the internet and all these things, there are still... 6,700 people groups that are unreached. And unreached means, unreached means that there's less than 2% Christian in that, in that people group. In that, it's not countries, but pockets of people, right? Less than 2% so that those people are very likely to never hear the name of Jesus and never understand the true gospel their whole life. 6,700 and so um, in, in places like Cambodia, where our sister Holly and Alicia are there, and they're ministering amongst the uh, women that are caught up in sex trafficking, and they rescue them out of there, and they're discipling them. You're going to hear more about that. That works soon again. But there are unreached people groups there in Cambodia. So they're all over, little pockets of people. And I, one thing I just want to say when I'm saying that God's love is global is, um, what's your part in that? 
I just want to ask that right up front because he's right now stirring up people all over in churches like this to take the good news of God's global love to the nations. He's stirring up people to do that. People are finding like that they just can't get comfortable here. They just can't fit in here. They just feel like they're, they're drawn to be somewhere else and they're, they're, they're drawn to be on the front lines in unreached people groups. And that could be you. I think in a group this size, there's some of you that are that person. Maybe you don't know it. Have you ever really considered it? You know, um, David Platt says, you ever like just kind of put your, put your life on the table and said, hey, you know, Lord, would you have me to go somewhere? Would you have me to not be here, to go somewhere where people don't even hear the name of Jesus? And so I just say, have you considered it? Because, guys, his global love will be accomplished with or without you. Uh, Revelation 7 says, This is uh, looking towards the final day. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, in white robes with palm branches, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Like God's going to accomplish this. God's love is global. He is going to reach all nations. On the final day, when we're before Jesus, there will be people from every tribe, nation, and language. You could be a part of that. And perhaps you are called to that. Consider it. Pray about that. Because God's love is global. We actually only have two roles in this. We either send or go, right? Those are the two obedient solutions. So we either send people to do this or we go. So consider it. Consider that perhaps God is stirring in you a love for the nations. That's his love that he wants to propel you out. So firstly, God's love is global. But secondly, God's love is gracious. Take a look again at John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. But this word world here is um, cosmos, and this world doesn't, in John, just refer to the bigness of the world, but it refers to the badness of the world. When John uses, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus speaks the word world, he's most often talking not just about the bigness of the world, but the badness of the world. For example, in chapter 16, Jesus says of this world that it's ruled by Satan. He says a little bit later, he says in chapter 15, he says that this world that God loves is a world that hates Jesus and his people. Look at chapter 15, verse 18. says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So we say, so God so loved the world. When we think of world, we're thinking of a, a place ruled by Satan, a place where the people hate Jesus and his people. This is the world he loves. Um, if you look even in our passage in verse 19, that, that this word world is referring to a people that love darkness and hate the light. Take a look at verse 19, 319. It says, and this is the judgment or the verdict. That light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. God loves the world, but the world loves darkness. You see that? For God so loved the world, and you read a little later, what does the world love? The world loves darkness. God loves that kind of a world. He loves that kind of us. If you think about it, what kind of us did God love? God loved the manipulating, lying, bitter, hateful, judgmental, selfish, malicious, gossiping us. God loved the world. That's what that means, guys. It means that he loved people like that. It means that he loves the us that preferred darkness to the light of his son. He loved the us that avoided Jesus for fear that the light would expose our sin. God loves that kind of world. 
He loves the kind of world that he had to condemn. Um, if you take a look in verse 17 and 18, you'll see this word, of, this word condemned or condemnation. And if you look at 19, there's a word that says, this is the judgment. The word could also be translated verdict. Guys, God is a just judge. And this world of evil is something he had to judge. He has to judge it because he's a just God. He doesn't take part in evil. And he can't allow it to continue in the world he made. You get that? He makes a world. He makes a world of creatures like us. And there's something called evil in it. There's sin in it. And he, as a good king of the universe, as a, as a good judge of the world, cannot allow it to stay here forever. Okay? He's allowing it to remain for a time. But he can't allow it to stay forever. And so it says in verse 18, it says that we are condemned already. You guys realize that the judge of this world has already ascended the bench. He's already reviewed all the evidence. And he's found us all guilty. The verdict's already been passed. It says in this passage that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. This world has been condemned. The verdict has been passed. Look at verse 19. It says, and this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And I'd like to ask you guys, in light of the fact that the judge of this universe has already reviewed all the evidence and lowered a verdict on all of us that we're guilty, I'd like to ask you this morning, is there anybody here that would like to file an appeal? Would you? Is there anybody here that would like to file an appeal? Is there anybody that thinks that they have evidence that the judge hasn't seen? Some sort of piece of evidence that, that they could bring before the judge and go, you know, I know you said we're condemned and guilty, but there's this that could get us all off the hook. You guys have something like that? You have some piece of evidence you'd like to bring to the judge that he would overrule his, his previous verdict? Do you have a piece of evidence that would at least prove your own innocence? You think you have anything that you can bring? I don't. When I look at God's commands and I look at his judgment over my life and that I'm guilty, all I have to say is, you're right. And that's what the law was designed to do. If you take a look at Romans 3.19, it says that the law was given so that it might stop the mouths of everyone and hold everyone accountable before God. And that the function of the law, God's commands, the Ten Commandments, for example, is to um, show us that we don't measure up. It was never meant as a way, like a ladder to try and get your way to heaven, or as a thing that somehow if you kind of worked these rules, you would get in. It was always to show us that we didn't measure up. Guys, and the first step of salvation is this, for you to stand before that judge and go, your verdict is right. You are a just God, and what you said about me is correct. I have fallen short. That's the first step. And so this judge has, has passed this just verdict, and he has he is, uh, condemned us, it says. He has sentenced us to, verse 16 says, perish. And perish doesn't just mean go out of existence. It doesn't just mean that we'll die. It means something more than that. What is it the opposite of in verse 16? Take a look. What's it the opposite of? Perish. Eternal life, right? It's the opposite of eternal life. So this perishing is something that happens eternally. In fact, in Matthew uh, 25, Jesus compares the two. He says that some go away to eternal punishment, and some go away to eternal life. This word perish is an everlasting separation from God. And guys, it's fair, okay? It's fair because our sin is actually a rejection of God. Hell is God's rejection of us in return. Realize that? 
Um, we have all wanted to get rid of God's influence in our lives. Can you guys testify to that? I can. That I have, within my life, wanted God to stay out of my business. I wanted him to not interfere with my life. I've wanted a space where he wasn't. That he could be over here and I could do my thing over here. We've wanted to get rid of God. It says in this passage that we've loved darkness rather than light. Um, hell is a place where we can finally be rid of God. That's what it is. It's a place where you finally got that space you've always been pursuing. You've always wanted his influence to be away from you, his interference to be away. Hell is the place where that happens. In a way, hell is a place that we've always been running to. We've always wanted. And what God is saying in our lives, we have said, I don't want God in my life. Hell is God saying, okay. But see, the thing is, guys, with hell is that it's an ultimate place of misery. And the reason is, is because God is the only source of lasting joy. And so when we say, I don't want you, and he's the only source of lasting joy, what do we have? Everlasting misery. To be separated from him is to be separated from all joy. I mean, to, to say, I don't want the light, is to live forever in darkness. C.S. Lewis said, listen to this, this is so great. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. Because there's no such thing. Isn't that wild? Isn't that put it clear? God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. And so hell is a place of misery because hell is a place without God. So when verse 16 says that God loved the world, he loved that kind of world. He loves a world that is in opposition to him, that, that hates him and his son, that prefers darkness, prefers sin, and he had to condemn. But see, guys, God's love is a gracious love. It's a gracious love. It's a love for enemies. Uh, grace means that, uh, favor towards someone who deserves your disfavor. Um, it's the opposite of human love, right? Human love's reciprocal, right? In general, human love, natural love is reciprocal, meaning uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? That if you do the things that I like, then I love you. Oh, why do I love you? I love you because you're attractive. I love you because of the things you do for me. It's very much a, you know, you benefit me, therefore I love you. Jesus talked about this. He said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. That's human love, right? That's, that's just the natural human love. And when people say, you know, I've kind of fallen out of love for my spouse and things like that, what are they saying? They're saying, they don't meet my needs anymore. They aren't connecting me with the way they used to. And so, but God's love is a gracious love. God's love is a love for enemies. It's something we haven't seen. It's a love for enemies. It's a gracious love. So it's global. It's gracious. Thirdly, God's love is giving love. This is so good. Look at this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. We'll just stop there. God so loved the world that he gave. God's love for us, his enemies, compelled him to do something, to give. And this is no small point because a lot of times human love is just emotions, right? It's just I have feelings. I have words for you. But I don't do anything to show it. I don't have any actions. Um, James rebuked this kind of love, right? This is a verse that kind of mobilizes us to do things like this with the cards and, and giving to the poor. Is James said, if a brother or sister is lacking clothing or daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and be filled, but doesn't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? That's the kind of love that human beings often have, is it's, it's, it's words it's feelings, but it's not actions. But look at God's love. God blows right past mere words and feelings, and he bursts in the world in actions, right? And the degree to which he loved us is shown by what he's willing to give. Like, your love for another person is shown 
by what you're willing to give to meet their greatest need, right? That's how you, that's how you show love. And for us, we can see the degree of God's love in what he was willing to give to meet our greatest need. We already know what our greatest need is, right? Our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest need is, is salvation. And what did he give? Take a look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, God sent his son to be condemned in our place. And the son willingly came to do that. Um, he came to pay for our sins on the cross so that we would not be condemned. Do you see that in verse 18? It says, for those who believe in him are not condemned. How good does that feel after I mentioned, you know, God's verdict and condemnation to hear, you are not condemned. How did that happen? He gave his son. The, the, where it says his only son, it's literally his one and only son. And that's what it says. He, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And, and, and this whole idea of a father giving a son... Kind of reminds us of an Old Testament character, right? Who is it? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Abraham. 2,000 years before Jesus, there was a man named Abraham who was called to give up his son. Now, Abraham and Sarah were um, very old. They were, Hebrews, I think, says they were as good as dead, which is a real polite, <laughs> real polite way of saying they were seniors. And um, do you want the good as dead discount? But they were very old, okay? They were very old. And they had wrestled with infertility for decades. They were never able to have kids, and in that culture, it was a huge deal. And, and so um, they had had that pain of infertility. Well, God finally granted to them the miracle of being able to have a child together. And so they have a child together, and his name's Isaac, right? And Isaac means son of laughter. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool name? Son of laughter. Why? Because this boy was Abraham's joy. I mean, this boy Isaac was his world, you know? His everything, his son of laughter. And you parents know what this is like, you know. You're reasonably sane people, you have a child, you become not reasonably sane, you know. <laughs> it's like, um, there's almost like a, a shrine to the child, you know. He loved this child, this is everything. And one day God commanded Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. This is the worst day of Abraham's life, right. In obedience, he gets up that morning, he assembles some wood, they're going to go walk up on Mount Moriah, and he's sick. And his uh, son says, Father, this is the worst part, Father, I see the wood, where's the sacrifice? You know, and he's like, uh, God's going to provide it, you know. So they walk up the hillside. He's going to offer his son. He has to watch his boy, his world, his everything die. This is his, his joy, everything he's got. Um, God did not make him do it in the end. Spoiler alert, okay, if you haven't read the story. He did not make him do it in the end. Why? Because God offered a substitute, right? So right when he's about to do it, God offers this ram kind of caught in some plants and stuff like that. And that was the substitute for Isaac. Isaac doesn't have to die because there's a, there's a substitute offered for him. Well, 2,000 years later, about 33 AD, another father is in the position of offering his son. And this time that father is God. And Jesus, his one and only son, you got to think about this. He's a father. Jesus is his one and only son. This is his boy. You know, you think about the affection that God the Father would have for God the Son. This is his boy. They've had eternity together. They delight in each other in ways that we can never imagine. This is his, this Jesus is his everything. This is his world. This is his son of laughter, right? But this time there's no substitute for the son, is there? Because that son, Jesus, was our substitute, right? He was the one that was taking the place for you 
He was the one that was taking the place for me. He was the one that was taking the place for everyone who will believe. And so Jesus, this son, he was willing to sacrifice himself, right? I mean, it isn't that God was forcing him or anything like that. God the Son was willing to be sacrificed. It says in John 10, no one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I love this passage. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to pick it up again. He says, this charge I have received from my Father. Jesus the Son voluntarily made the ultimate sacrifice for us. But guys, let's not miss that the Father made the ultimate sacrifice too. Have you ever thought about that? This passage is about the Father. When we think, who gave his Son? This is about the Father. This is about the Father's sacrifice. The Father's sacrifice, he gave his one and only Son. For him to give his only Son and to see his only Son be killed in this cruel way by crucifixion, to be mocked by wicked people. And think about this. On the cross, his son, his boy, his son of laughter cries out what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine what it would be like for the father to hear his son crying out for his help and be able to do nothing for him? Isn't that amazing? Um, I have kids. Um, and I just think about it from the father's perspective. I would not give any of them for any of you. You know, and I like you guys a lot. I love you guys. <laughs> but I wouldn't give any of them for any of you, um, especially to a death like that. But God did, right? God gave his only son to us to save us. Guys, think about it real personally for you. This is how God loves you. You know, you may have, like Jamal was talking about, you question his goodness, you question his love this week. This is how much he loves you. He loves you so much, he gave his one and only son to have you. This is love. Guys, if this is love, then perhaps we need to come up with a different term for what we've been doing for each other, right? We call that love. This is love. And guys, this love sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Because you might, might be here and might be like, What's the difference? These guys worship God one way. Other people worship God another way. What's the difference? Let me, let me do this one question for you. Here's a simple test of any religion. See how Christianity stands up. Simple test of any religion is this question. What did it cost your God to love you? <laughs> Think through that. What does it cost Allah to love his people? Nothing. Judaism, what does it cost that God to love his people? Very little. What does it cost the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to love his people? It cost him his world. And so think about that. I mean, if you think about they're all the same, they're not all the same. There is only one religion in which we can say God is love. And it's the biblical Christianity. That's the only place that we can say that God is love, that is his very nature. Um, so what effect does this have? Let's look at, uh, we've seen that his love is global. We've seen that his love is gracious. We've seen that his love is giving. And then I want to look at real quickly, what kind of life does the Father give us through this love? And we see that at the end of the verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the first kind of life that we get is what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And we think about eternal life we shouldn't just think about that it goes on forever or that it's something future, okay? When we think about eternal life, it's not just that we don't perish. It's not just that we don't go to hell. It's true. We don't go to hell. We go to heaven. But it's even more than that, believe it or not. If you look in John 17, 3, it says, This is eternal life, that you know 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so eternal life isn't just eternal life because it goes on forever, and it isn't something entirely future. It isn't just about a quantity of life, it's about a quality of life. It's about knowing God. It's, and it's a life that starts now. When, when you first come to faith, you start eternal life then. Eternal life starts now, and it just gets better. It continues and improves forever. We talked last week about when you first come to Christ, he gives you a new heart, a heart that can grow and change and, and love God more and more. And and he transforms us. And then it gets better later, where we get glorified physical bodies. You guys realize this? That your body will be raised from the dead. Won't be a zombie. I always get that. Um, will be raised from the dead and made new. And you will live in the world made new, in a body made new, with the resurrected Jesus and all of his people. It just keeps getting better. And, and as we spend time with him in that place, our joy will always be increasing. Remember when we talked about um, Jesus making the wine, and they said, you kept the good wine until now. We're going to say that in the world to come. And so, guys, eternal life starts now. We're just learning to live in it more and more now. And it's for whoever wants it, whoever will believe in Jesus. Secondly, so he gives us eternal life. He also gives us shameless life. Remember back in verse 19 and 20? Take a look at it. According to verse 19 and 20, why do people avoid Jesus? You see it? They don't want their deeds exposed. It's... It's, it's exactly right. It's fear. It's fear of exposure. It's fear of having our sins seen. It's fear of being exposed as a fraud. It being exposed as something, you know, far less than what we like to think of ourselves as and what we like to put forward as. It's a fear of exposure. We want to stay away from the light. We want to stay away from Jesus and his people because that exposes us. Guys, what about this, though? What if you could be fully known and fully loved? What if you could be fully known and fully accepted? You guys, I mean, what does it feel like to be fully known and not accepted, right? It's devastating, right? It's devastating for somebody to know everything about you and say, I reject it. I don't want it. Um, but it doesn't mean that much to be fully accepted and not fully known. <laughs> Have you ever met somebody and they're just like compliments like crazy right from the beginning? They're just like, oh, you're just like the greatest person, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, we just met. Okay, It doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean much to be fully accepted but not fully known. But what does it feel like, guys, to be fully known and fully accepted? It feels amazing. It's the feeling you have in the best friendships you could have. It's the feeling you have in the best marriages. In the gospel, guys, we are fully known by God and fully accepted. And the cool thing is we get to live that out in community. We get to live out this shameless life. So he gives us eternal life. He also gives us shameless life. And it's a life we can live out in community. In 1 John, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a value, guys, of covenant grace that attracted me from the very beginning. Tasha and I came in 2012. We started coming to covenant grace. And one of the things that really attracted us to it was this. You don't have to hide your sin here. Love that. <laughs> Love that. You don't have to hide your sin here. You can, you can be fully known. You can be real with us. Um, we're not going to say like, oh, that's great. You just keep doing that. We're going to be like, hey, let's, let's work on that, you know? But I'm glad you told me. Let's talk about it. This is not somewhere we have to hide. And guys, you don't need to hide your sin when you know, number one, that it's covered by the blood of Jesus, and you know that you're being transformed. You know you're forgiven, and you know you're being set free. And so you can just be like, okay, here's what I got. You know, here's what I got. Here's who I am. So he gives us an eternal life. He gives us shameless life. Last thing, I promise, he gives us an empowered life. 
Take a look at verse 21. It says, but whoever does the truth comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Isn't that interesting? I'm focused on that in God, right? So um, people that follow Jesus are not afraid to be exposed in the light. And when they are exposed in the light, you get to see what's being carried out in God in them. Um, Because the Father has offered his Son to die for your sins, you don't have to live out of merely human love anymore. Remember we talked about human love? It's kind of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's kind of love for people just like you, right? It's love that doesn't really do much for other people. What, what he's saying here is that we don't have to live out of merely human love. I mean, don't you want to love like God loves? Don't you want to love globally, graciously, even love your enemies, um, be able to give? Um, the secret is in God. God has, because of the death of Christ and his resurrection, he has united us with Jesus such that Jesus' life can flow out of us. I love this. Uh, in John 15, that'd be something to read this, this afternoon where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's connected us with Jesus such that Jesus' life actually flows out through us. Like we're just like these kind of dead branches and we get grafted into this live vine and his life like pushes out the deadness, right? Leaves start to appear, fruit starts to appear, right? It's Jesus' life coming out through us. And what he says in John 15, he says, if you will live in me, if you'll abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. He's saying, my supernatural love will flow through your spiritual veins. And that's what God gives us through the cross, is that we can abide in him, we can live a totally different life that's his life through us. How do we do that? You know, we do that through things that you're probably going to suspect. Prayer, um, being in the word, being steeped in the word, right? Um, It's going to come through being with each other, right? That as we walk in the light together, I mean, if you're not in a community group, we have on Thursdays and Fridays, it'd be a great place to meet people, to go deep with people. But it comes through being with people. We don't grow alone. But it also just comes, guys, from like knowing and believing that we're united to Christ. There's something about that. When you come up against a roadblock this week, tomorrow. Okay, 7.30. Right in the beginning. That's <laughs> ah, a good time. Um, and you come up against a roadblock to say, and I'm like not able to love people. I'm like, God, oh, that's a great message on love. Um, that I can go, wait a minute. I am united with Christ such that his Love can flow through my spiritual veins. Father, please do that. Like, I'm just a dead branch. If you could just live through me today, if you could just have your love course through me today, it makes a big difference, guys, just to remember and believe and know that you're united with Christ. And if we live that way, what happens? God gets the glory, right? So it can be seen it's done in God. This kind of life gives God glory. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're thankful that you are a God of love and um, we don't even know what we're saying when we say that. Um, when we look at a passage like this and we really look deeply into what you've done and the love that you have for us, we're surprised and moved. And this must just be like a tiny little tip of the iceberg in your love for us. Lord, I would just pray that each person here would leave here with a very deep sense that you love them personally. That during this last worship song, that you would just, um, that, that the love of God would, would burst forth in their hearts. That they, they would know how much you love them. That as they think about the cross, they would think about that um, as your massive display of love. We pray, Lord, as we take communion, as we worship you, be in hearts of gratitude. Help us to leave here, Lord, um, as people who are constantly drawing on your strength, your power, 
your love coursing through us, Lord. Help us to be different this week. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. Show us too, Lord, when it, when it happens, show us. We need that encouragement. We need, to, we need to know and see that you've worked in our very bodies. And we pray that you do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.